Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a news story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this episode 309 with Van Hoang. Van, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm like obsessed with you guys. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> like I said before, I'm like, anytime someone's like, oh yeah, I listened to the show and now I'm here. I'm like, oh good, you stayed. Great, <laughs> excellent. I'm so glad. Yeah. But we're so, so happy to have you. And you're going to be telling us a little bit about a story that I'm not super familiar with and I'm really, really excited to learn about. But first, how about we talk a little bit about your books because we're very excited to talk about them. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my first book is called Girl Giant and the Monkey King and it has a lot of Vietnamese mythology influence. It's about a very strong girl who um, develops like super strength for like inexplicable reasons and it causes a lot of problems in her life. So in order to get rid of it, she makes a deal with a trickster demon god named the Monkey King. And then she gets, you know, like absorbed into this world of magic and mythology that uh, she didn't know existed and then kind of learns that magic is way more than it's worth. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I'm obsessed with the Monkey King. Um, and the sequel to that book is out already. It's called Girl Giant in the Jade War. Incredible. And if you are listening to this episode right now, there are links in the show notes where you can go and you can just buy those books or ask your library to go get those books. Like that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, and as a as a uh, librarian, Van, I know that you're probably like, yes, ask your library to <laughs> yeah. get those books. Yeah, I'm also a librarian. Um, I work a lot with children, uh, the children's department, but I'm primarily an adult librarian. So I have like, you know, my, my feet in both worlds. <laughs> Excellent. Is that why you chose middle grade as kind of a area of expertise here, let's say? I don't actually know. So I, I kind of like fell into middle grade by mistake. Um, I was just like writing in all ages, but I think because I wanted to write about the Monkey King and he's such a silly character that it kind of just fell very neatly into that like middle grade voice. Excellent. I love that, though. And I, I, we've been talking to a few more middle grade. We usually like tend to interview authors who are like YA or adult, but we've been doing a lot more middle grade lately. And I'm very glad because these are the kind of books that I wish I had grown up with, you know, like when I was this age and would have been enjoying these books. So yeah, I always say this. I've said it a few times. So people who like maybe have listened to a bunch of other things I've been in. Um, like, I feel like middle grade is like those years where like you're the most traumatized, you know, that's when you're like about to go into puberty and it's like going to a different sort of school than what you're used to in elementary, or at least where I'm from. I feel like a lot of us haven't like come, like had a reckoning with those years. And I feel like, I think that's the reason a lot of middle grade books are coming out now is that everyone's sort of like, oh, I need to like address those concerns that like, that like caused problems in my life at that time, you know? Yeah, I like fully don't remember my middle school years at all because <laughs> they were traumatic. You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's a self-protective mechanism. In the episode we recorded earlier today before Julie and I are talking to you, I opened up the episode by saying, you know, wow, I just had a traumatic memory of when I was 12 in English class. And that does still color my life. So, I mean, it's a really formative time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> before you kind of teach us a little bit about the Monkey King, I'm very curious as to what about the Monkey King story inspired you to write Girl Giant and the Monkey King? Yeah, I'm just obsessed with the Monkey King. Like he's such a fun, silly character, but he's like inherently bad. And like there was a point in my life where I felt like I was always getting in trouble. And like, you know, I grew up like I was a good girl. You know, I was like I obeyed my parents. I was like had a like a healthy dose a fear of like authority but like I was like there was one point where I was just like getting in trouble all the time and I was so bad and then I think that's what made me relate so much to the monkey king is that he is like 
a demon, you know, he was born a demon, but he like tries so hard to redeem himself throughout most of his story. And yet he was always failing, but he always kept trying. And I don't know, like, I just really, really related to that. I guess I just really wanted to write about him and like how he would like help a girl, I guess, in like a middle in middle grade during this time in like a contemporary setting. And I don't know, it just all came together. I mean, that's a great point, too, is that those kind of middle school years, the middle grade years are very like you're just starting puberty. You're starting to like push against what society expects from you. You're trying to like test the boundaries of like what you can and can't do. So I feel like befriending a trickster during that time is very on brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. I love that so much. So you grew up with stories about the Monkey King? Yeah, I grew up watching this uh, CCTV, like which is like a Chinese um, broadcast version of Journey to the West, which is um, the story of the Monkey King. And as far as like what I remember growing up watching, that story focused a lot more on the Monkey King after he had tried to become good. So his origin story is like he is like he was born from a rock and like that rock. There's like many different ver- versions because he shows up in like so many um, different Southeast Asian or just like Asian uh, mythologies. But like in the version that I know, he was a rock that um, fell from like the heavens and he, it dropped onto like like into the mortal world, but onto like a demon island. So like technically he's a god from the heavens, but because he hatched on this demon island, he was then raised by demons. Um, so like he kind of, he was, he's kind of both. And um, at first he was just almost like a normal monkey, like mo- normal monkey demon, like didn't have many powers, um, but he was just like somehow smarter than all his other monkey brothers. Um, so then one day he was like, I'm sick of this. Like, I want to learn more. Like, I want to learn how to be human. So he flies off of the demon island and he finds like this Taoist master and the master teaches him how to be human. And then he also teaches him what's known as the 72 transformations, which is like basically just like magic, you know, like the ability to fly, become invisible, shapeshift. And there's like 72 of them. So I won't like list all of them. But yeah, so he just becomes like really, really powerful. Um, and then even then it's not enough. He wants to learn more. Like he now he now that he's like he learned how to be human, he wants to learn how to be a god. So he goes up to the heavens. They're basically like, you're a demon. Like, you don't belong with us. Like, go away. But he just like wreaks havoc and like just like does everything that he can to get their attention. So finally, the Jade Emperor is like, okay, this monkey's not going away. We'll give him like a fake title. So they name him Master of the Horses. And the heavenly horses are like giant magical beasts, like, you know, bigger than elephants and powerful and almost like deities themselves. So they are not going to respect this monkey And so they like treat him really, really badly, you know, so he gets like angry and he basically like destroys the heavens, knocks out a bunch of buildings on his way out, steals um, what's called like the peaches of immortality, which like makes him invisible. Also the pills of immortality, which like takes like eons and eons to create. Um, He steals those two, drinks the heavenly wine, basically just like, like goes completely like, okay, if they don't want me to be good, I will be as bad as, you know, they are making me out to be. Sounding a lot like adolescents, like rebellion, like fine, if that's how you're going to cast me, like that's how I'll act. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tangent, but have you uh, both seen the movie Turning Red? on Disney Plus. It's like, it's so good. I really love it. There's like a line where the girls are like, well, if they're thinking that we're bad anyway, you know, then we might as well be bad. Like we've been good all this time. Like, and that reminded me a lot of the Monkey King. He was like, I tried to be good and you didn't let me. So here I go. So we're describing him as a demon. And obviously like as, as like Westerners, I think like, you know, fire and brimstone, demon, like imps, the devil kind of thing. That's probably not the case in this story, right? 
So, yeah, so like I dealt with it differently, but like, yes, our, our demons, like in mythology, they're supposed to be like bad and like, yeah, they just like are evil and wreak havoc. There are also some portrayals where the demons are just like animal spirits who are just like living, like especially the ones on the demon island where the monkey king grew up. Like he, they were just like there, like they were just living their lives on this island. I do make a case about that eventually because I think that demons have the ability to be good, sort of like how the monkey king has the ability to be good. So. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, there is kind of like this idea of, yes, the Monkey King, you know, I guess got an education and then turned good, like because he turned human. So I guess that opportunity is kind of available for everyone. I love that. Yeah. That's a very interesting point that like, okay, he learned to be human. So now he's going to try to be good. But then he learned how to be a god. So now he's going to try to be bad, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, after he is like, after he leaves the heavens, he like goes into the, the hells where there's like a book of the dead and he like crosses his name out of the book of the dead and crosses a bunch of his friends names out of the book of the dead so basically now he's like very very immortal because <laughs> he's like he's had yeah. all the, these immortal like peaches and pills and now he's also like my name's not in the book of the dead anymore so like i can't die ever you know so basically he just becomes like very very powerful and invincible <laughs> this has very big like health magnets who try like all the different like i'm gonna live forever yeah. you know like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah just that oh, yeah. real like chaotic energy yeah yeah he's covered all his bases he can't die anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so then after that he's just like really really bad like he just goes crazy befriends like demons he like gets together armies of demons and just goes around like just being being a bad person um and then i think like they send like gods and monsters they even like team up with other demons to take him down and he's like you know he's powerful and he's now he's invincible so it's impossible. So what happens is there's like this um, like magical weapon or magical these like magical items. Um, one is like the golden headband and another is like this cloak. Anyway, sorry, I don't know what that has to do with the story. But <laughs> it's just like everyone's got a quest yeah, that they have yeah, to find. Yeah. It's always like a golden item or like the item of the gods. And of course, you have to go get it because it proves how like cool and awesome you are. Yeah. And then um, another iconic thing about the Monkey King is that he is known for his iron cudgel. So it's just like this like metal staff. He steals that from the uh, sea dragon of the east who didn't realize that it was like this huge magical weapon. It was basically just like part of his like like treasure trove or like mm -hmm. trash trove, I guess. And he like steals it. And then he learns that it like has the ability to like grow in size. And um, basically it's a very powerful, it's like 17,000 tons or something like that. Wow. Yeah. And like, he's the only one who can wield it. And basically with that staff and like with his like magical powers, like he's really unstoppable. And it becomes so bad that the gods, like the Jade Emperor, Guan Yin, the goddess of mercy has to like appeal to Buddha, who's like, you know, just like, the most supreme being, um, but like doesn't want to step in, you know, in mortal affairs. But like because the Monkey King is like so bad, he does step in and his way to like defeat him was to make a deal with him where like if the Monkey King can travel to the end of the world, then Buddha will give him his place in the heavens, make him a god, you know, leave him alone. But if he can't, then they get to punish him however they want. So the Monkey King, like, of course, is like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go to the end of the world. So he travels really far. He reaches the end of the world and there's these five pillars. This part gets really coarse because he like pees on the five pillars to be like, yeah, yeah. I did it. <laughs> and then he comes back and he's like, okay, like I could be a god now and do whatever I want. But then it turns out that Buddha had tricked him. And in fact, like he had only traveled to Buddha's hand 
which had was like enormous and the five pillars that he had peed on were actually buddha's fingers <laughs> oh, oh that's very God. funny also you don't think of buddha tricking people yeah. all that often yeah you know and then I, I guess the point about that is that like even though the monkey king is like very powerful super strong has all these magic you know but his biggest strength is like his trickery and so in order to defeat mm-hmm. him you have to trick him which i love like i I've, I've always been obsessed with like tricksters you know like anansi and loki yeah. like yeah so then after that they put this golden headband on him and basically what it does is like causes him a lot of pain unless he does what they say which is like so sad um and then they also like shove him under the mount this mountain for 500 years so that's his punishment. Let's think about what we just learned because there was so much there. I love this. <laughs> okay, so I want to go back to this idea that like the only way you can win against a trickster is by tricking him because I feel like that is such a kind of classic overall, like almost global trope in a way where it's like, yes, the trickster is always going to win when you try to come at him with brute force. Mm -hmm. But when he's not expecting you to trick him because you're like all like, ooh, I'm honorable and I would never tell a lie, that's when you're able to win against him. And I feel like that's the case with like Loki, with Anansi, Coyote, like all of those trickster figures have these moments where someone outplays them. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Like, I much prefer, like brains over brawn you know and I, and I feel like that's like appealing to like a very human audience um where like you can never be as power like physically powerful as a god but you could possibly outsmart them you know that is true I'm thinking too about like Norse mythology and how just because you're like oh, I prefer brains over bronze a lot of times at least in Norse mythology the like trickster nature is coded as feminine Mm. so loki is portrayed as more feminine than some more masculine god like thor you know what i mean yeah so it's really interesting that i'm trying to think if it's like because we're all like kind of femme people we prefer that kind of trickster character or if it's just like in general like society has gone away from like let me like muscle my way into a situation and now we're like yes i can win the situation with words excellent <laughs> yeah i love that take because um i have been told that like when people don't know the monkey king and i'm showing them like pictures or talking about them they're always like oh he's like kind of feminine because like he does this thing like in the tv series he does this thing where he like bats his eyelashes like almost like he's flirting you know so that's like very interesting um like that take on it but i totally agree i love like stumbling into a thing i'm like oh i wonder if this makes sense yeah. and then confirming it for me thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love man you have a is that a fox mug that you are drinking out of? Yes. And it's got a little sweater. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm obsessed with foxes. My next book is actually about like a nine-tailed fox. Um, and this was a gift from my agent because she knows that I really love foxes. And there's a fox hey. demon in um, the Go Giant series too. Famous trickster spirit. Nothing more trickster than a fox, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's probably why I'm drawn to them too. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so elegant. And I, I think too, like whether you're you know a person underestimated for lots of reasons, because of your size, because of your appearance, because of your gender, because you are a bookish kid um, and not necessarily a sporty kid. The idea that you can be kind of outclassed and outmatched in so many ways and yet find a little fulcrum to kind of flip the narrative or the expected outcome is so elegant and so wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And then um, I think the reason that like so many of us are drawn to the Monkey King is that because he spent most of his like existence as like an outsider you know he, he never felt like he belonged and then 
even when he like finally found his home, like he's still so different from everyone. And he has to fight tooth and nail for a position that he should have been like given in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Again, I feel like that's like very much like, and I can't speak to this because I'm not, but like the diaspora and like being an immigrant child and like having to kind of create that space for yourself in a new place and like especially because we're talking middle grade, like in a new school or something yeah. like that. I feel like there is a lot to say there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Again, like this is such a good book for like, you know, for anyone, but also like for a very like specific kind of group of people. And I think that is great. And I think we need more books like that. We don't need like the one size fits all for books. Like yeah. that's silly to assume that that's the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. During this time, it was like ancient China and there's these Buddhist texts that come out and they want uh, the gods, they want to introduce the West to the Buddhist text. And they find like this monk who's like very pure and good of heart. And they're going to task him with um, taking these texts over to the West. That's why it's called Journey to the West. Um, but he's like a weakling. And honestly, like when I was reading, so I read, I read the original Journey to the West um, in my research for this book. And he's like almost useless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like because he ha- like has no like skills or like smarts or anything, he's just pure. <laughs> They're like, okay, well, we need to protect this guy. And the best person to do it is the Monkey King because he's like powerful. And he's also like a slave to us now that he has the golden headband. So they're like, okay, Monkey King, go help this like monk. And then the monk also has like two other assistants. They're like a pig demon and a bull demon, but they're good. I don't know like what their explanation was because in Journey to the West, like demons are bad. Like it's, there's no like gray area, like they're just bad. Um, So like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know like the origin of that, why the pig demon and the bull demon get, you know, to sent on this like journey for good. This has real like modern fantasy vibes, which first off, I can't believe Journey to the West created the uh, the cinnamon roll uh, character. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> truly, truly wild. Uh, but it does have like a very like this person is important or like this child is important. And now this like group of like hardcore gods and demons and stuff has to go accompany him to a place like I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely like a classic quest story. It totally is. And I love that. They go on their journey and um, it's very like episodic at this point where like every like few chapters or scenes or like episodes, they like come across a very evil demon. Um, And of course, the Monkey King always defeats them. My like gripe with the original book was that like the monk was supposed to be like this like supreme being and everyone loved him. And basically, he's the reason that the Monkey King becomes good because he wants this monk's approval. Um, But like in the book, like there were so many moments where the Monkey King would be like, okay, like stay here. I'm going to go defeat the demon. Like, do not move from this circle of protection. And then like, as soon as the monkey king leaves, the monk would like step out of the circle and like get in trouble. And so then the monkey would have to like rush back and like save him and defeat the demons. And like, I was like, this monk. (laughs) So I don't know what that says. Like, I don't know what they were, what message they were trying to say in that, but. Well, Van, are you sure that this isn't a romance because this is hitting all the beats of a romance novel now. It really is. Yeah, you know what? I I think there was yeah there was some romance in, involved in that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Amanda, you're our romance novel expert. Is this hitting all the beats? <laughs> You guys have yet to prove that it's not a romance novel. Yeah. Uh, what I'm hearing is is basically it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so then after that, it's just kind of like 
it just becomes like this quest journey where eventually they, they you know, they're defeating all these demons, they're getting the, the text over to the West and then they succeed in the end. Um, but most of it is about like the Monkey King struggle for like, am I good? Am I bad? I, I love this guy. I want to, I want to be his friend. I want to prove him right. But like, I'm also bad by nature. I don't know. Um, and, the, and then the whole time you're just like rooting for him to be good. And he's always, he fails constantly, but in the end he like proves himself to be a good guy. Um, but I was always very fascinated with him when he was a villain. <laughs> I mean, this is just like, I'm seeing the groundwork for so many like modern day tropes now. Like, first off, like the kind of episodic nature of the story is very like monster of the week, I guess is a good way to describe it. And I'm sure like, there's a bunch of adaptations of Journey to the West where it is basically a monster of the week-esque television series. Yeah. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm thinking Monster of the Week, my immediate thought is like, oh, well, you know, like Spike from Buffy is a good example of like someone who struggles with their like nature and like wanting to be good, but being evil and trying to make themselves good for a person that they love. Like it lays out so perfectly. I'm like, how is this the same thing? Yeah, I was reading like this book on craft, like writing craft. And the author made a good point where like we love a good character, but we also love a character who's trying to be good, like much more. Because um, we're, we're rooting for them, you know, and then it goes back to like, for me, when I was like a bad kid, but I really wanted to be good, but I didn't know how, you know, so like, that, it's, it, it like hits that part of me where it's like, yeah, I totally relate to that. Like, I'm not good all the time, but I want to be, you know. Absolutely. And I, again, like that just, it lines so well with the kind of middle grade, middle school experience that I'm just, I'm blown away. Like the more you tell me about this, I'm like, well, obviously that's like a story that <laughs> middle schoolers would benefit from hearing. Yeah. Of <laughs> so Van, I would love to hear more about the Monkey King and just about Girl Giant and the Monkey King and Girl Giant and the Jade Wars, but we're going to quickly go grab a refill. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, this is Julia, and welcome to The Refill. It is a really crisp, beautiful autumn day here as I'm recording, and it makes me really happy that I get to share these kind of days with you. I hope your day is beautiful and crisp, and you can smell a little bit of falling leaves and maybe some smoke out in the yard today. That's what I'm feeling, at least. Welcome to our newest patrons, Spooky Lore and Portia. You join the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons like Alicia, Anne, Brittany, Daisy, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Iron Havoc, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Stewart, Neaslikins, Lily, Megan Moon, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captains Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and of course, our legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi-Yokai, Sakuda Makalada, Clara, Ginger Spurs Boy, Morgan, Sarah, Schmitty, and BME Up Scotty, who every day it is the perfect crisp autumn day for them, if that's their favorite day. Personally, it's my favorite kind of day. Now you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash spearspodcast. And good news, our Patreon is now monthly. That means when you sign up, your tier is what you'll pay each month. That is simpler for you. It gives us more tools. We're excited about the change. Do you want more urban legends each month? All patrons now have access to our monthly bonus episodes, plus the dozens that we have posted over the years. You can enjoy new benefits like tarot drawings, bonus video advice podcasts, and even more chances 
chances to connect with us. And if you want to get a whole year of Patreon support at a discount, you can sign up now for an annual plan, which is very, very exciting. Check it out, all that and more at patreon.com slash spiritspodcast. On days like today where it is beautiful and crisp and the sun is a little bit further away from us in the sky each and every day as winter heads our way, I'd like to wonder what life would be like on a planet different from our own or how writers create my favorite fictional worlds. And that's when I put on an episode of Exolore. On Exolore every week, astrophysicist and folklorist Dr. Moya McTeer explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. You'll learn, you'll laugh, and you'll gain a new appreciation for just how special our planet really is. Subscribe today by searching Exolore in your podcast app or go to exolorepod.com. Check it out. We love Dr. McTeer. This episode of Spirits is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really seriously wish that life came with a user manual. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on really key parts of life in general. Like everyone else in my life knows how to make really good small talk. And I get through the first cycle of how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And then I just don't know what to say. And a lot of that social anxiety that comes with the awkward silence after trying to start small talk has been something that I've talked a lot about with my therapist. Now, therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine that is, well, you. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professional, licensed, and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com spirits. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits. Have you ever tried on an outfit, whether it's a dress or a shirt or a new blouse or whatever, and you think it looks so good, but oh my God, you just cannot find the right bra to work underneath that shirt. And it just makes a really cute looking outfit look not so cute. Some of the best looking bras feel terrible, but also the super comfortable looking ones have no personalities, but you shouldn't have to choose between the two. So one brand created a third way, and that is Third Love. Third Love has spent years researching and designing the perfect bras that feel just as good as they look. I love my third love bras so much. I recently bought a dress for a wedding and for the first time in a very long time, I was like, yeah, I need a strapless bra. And all of my past experiences thinking about strapless bras have been, God, they're uncomfortable. I'm going to be pulling them up the entire night. It's just going to be a mess. But I was like, well, all of my other third love bras are incredibly comfortable. I bet they make a great strapless bra as well. And lo and behold, they did. They are in 
incredible. They were comfortable. They stayed up. It was great. And Third Love is founded on the belief that you deserve a bra that is designed for your body. They actually invented half cups and they carry more than 60 sizes all the way from A to H. All you have to do is take their 60 second fitting room quiz and save time and money on your search to find the right bra. They also are the largest donor of undergarments in the US. They've donated over $40 million in bras to people in need by partnering with organizations nationwide. So break the bad bra cycle with Third Love and join more than 10 million happy boobs and counting. Take the fitting room quiz and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash spirits. That's 20% off when you shop now at thirdlove.com slash spirits. And finally, we are sponsored by Clockworks Academy. Clockworks Academy offers online courses on literature and popular culture, focusing especially on monster theory and on medieval literature. Their Dracula course begins this Friday, November 11th, and it is an eight-week close look at the vampire novel that has stalked imagination since its publication in 1897, as well as an exploration on vampires in theory. The Medieval Werewolves course begins next week. That's eight weeks of explorations of werewolf stories of the 12th century. They have a Beowulf class that begins the week after that. You can read English's oldest epic poem with an emphasis on the monsters. And coming up after that are courses on zombies, on King Arthur, on Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Robin Hood, Game of Thrones, and more. There is never any homework except reading and the time required is flexible. Other events coming soon is the Symbolic Symposium, which is a free online event hosted by Clockworks Academy the weekend of December 2nd to 4th. There are free talks by experts for a general audience on a theme of disguise and recognition in folklore and literature, and talks about shapeshifters in Japanese folklore and anime, secret identities in superhero comics, disguises in medieval literature, so much more. Go to clockworksacademy.com and use spirits for 10% off any of these courses. And now let's get back to the show. So, Van, we we love a cocktail here. And I feel like Monkey King, we saw him drinking some divine wine earlier, is probably also a cocktail fan. What is your favorite cocktail? What have you been imbibing lately? Yeah, um, I love a good kombucha, like a hard kombucha. But that's not really a cocktail. It counts. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's because like kombucha is technically good for you. So it makes me feel a little better. But recently I had um, a soju margarita, like a lychee soju margarita, and it was delicious. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. (laughs) We had a guest on who kind of gave us the history of soju and like the mythological origins of soju. That was a great episode. So now I'm like, every time I see soju in the store, I'm like, I have to get that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It'll make me happy. I know it will. Yeah. So that is great. I love that. Ooh, and like a lychee with soju. I got to make one of those. Yeah. It was really really good cocktail for just in general. I was about to say for summer, but I realize your episode's coming out like in the middle of winter. So I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Um, Have you read the book Girly Drinks by Mallory O'Mara? I have it on my list to take out from my library, but yeah, it looks incredible. And Mallory O'Hara is like such a great writer that I, I need to pick it up ASAP. I love her podcast too, uh, Reading Glasses with Mm. Bria. But Girly Drinks is about like the history of like, you know, alcohol, but like from a feminist take. And it's like fascinating Mm -hmm. um, just learning about like the ways that 
history has followed like the oppression of women. And yeah, I, I really recommend it. Sure has. Yeah, it didn't start with the feminization of the Cosmo on Sex and the City. Like that that was merely one chapter in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of my husband's favorite drinks is a Cosmo. So no one should I think know. any drink is gender coded. That's silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though all men seem to like IPAs. So I don't know. Like I'm just kind of like a weird balance between the two. It is pretty masculine. True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Van, I'm so glad that you like took the time to share with us the story of Journey to the West and also the money. Monkey King. We kind of transitioned into there by me asking you, hey, did you grow up with the Monkey King? So can you tell us now that we know the story, can you tell us a little bit about like what it was like hearing the Monkey King story when you were younger? Yeah. So I grew up watching, um, yeah, the CCTV version of uh, Journey to the West. And I think that came out in like 1986. Um, and then they rebooted it in like 1992. Basically from when I was like six years old in adulthood, I guess I was like watching the series. That story focused a lot more on him being good. And it was very episodic where like every week we're going to fight a demon and the Monkey King is going to go face some sort of internal, you know, conflict about himself, like as a, a demon or a god, you know. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, like very fascinating just growing up with these stories. It was originally made in China, but I'm Vietnamese. So we watched the Vietnamese dubbed version. So like it was... Like, I just grew up with all these, like, Vietnamese voice actors all the time because my mom was, like, so obsessed with, like, Chinese dramas and they were always dubbed in Vietnamese. I just, like, could recognize, like, the different Vietnamese actors. Did you like that scene in uh, Turning Red where they're watching the the Chinese dramas oh my together? <laughs> I related so much. <laughs> it was I was like, that's extremely cute. Yeah. And that's me with my mom, but it's below deck the reality show and not <laughs> Chinese dramas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for us, uh, Chinese dramas were like always on the background. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, a, you know, like if you grow up in a home that does like soap operas and telenovelas and stuff like that, yeah. like I feel like that's very much like, of course, it's playing in the background. It's grandma's stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. And I know there's been a incredible amount of adaptation for Journey to the West, like a truly incredible amount. Mm -hmm which I, I feel like more people should know the story. Like, I feel like a little embarrassed that I don't know the story as well as I should. But it's great that like, it is a story that is, you know, spreading more and people are becoming more and more familiar with it. Yeah. I'm very curious to ask then about Boy Giant, because that's something I never heard of before. Uh -huh. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, Boy Giant, I, I actually didn't know about him either until I was like researching about for this book, because like not a lot, there, were, there wasn't a lot of literature out there about like Vietnamese mythology. I kind of came across his story by accident. And I just found it very fascinating that like, he's like this boy who grew up in a small village. And like as a baby, he couldn't walk or talk for like a really long time until he was like four or five. He still like didn't show any signs of development. But then one day, like his village gets attacked and inexplicably, he like eats a bunch of rice, like grows really big and strong and powerful. And like he defeats um, the invaders. And then for that, he's like made a god, you know, ascends to the, the heavens. When I was reading about him, I also learned that he's actually one of the four immortals, like capital I, mm -hmm. that had done something like sacrificed themselves in some way and then ascended the heavens. And then I was just like very fascinated with like these four immortals in, you know, Vietnamese mythology. One of them, the mother goddess, um, she's actually still worshipped today, like in areas of Vietnam. And, you know, I just I just find that so interesting. And like, I'm so like almost ashamed that like I didn't know about it, you know, so I was like, I think more people should know about these stories. So that's why I wanted to write about his story specifically. That's awesome. And kind of talking a little bit more about 
uh, living traditions and stuff in in both your book and in the story for uh, The Journey to the West. Buddhism plays a surprisingly large role in these stories. And like knowing the religious history of like China and East Asia as a whole, that makes sense. But I guess I just like didn't put two and two together being like, oh, the Buddha shows up here. And that kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of like research on Buddhism in writing the book because like I'm I'm curious as to like what part of Buddhism you learned about outside of its influence in the story of the monkey king. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not Buddhist myself. So like I, I just tried to be very as sensitive as possible. Um and then as in as within the context of the story, I treated it as like part of the mythology um and not mm-hmm. so much as a religion. Yeah, it is fascinating that Buddhism shows up in the mythology when it really is a, a religion. I would like visit temples and just like learn about its history. And even when like there's a temple really close to me, it's beautiful. But when you go there, it's almost like all the like the different sections that they have. It's almost treated as like a museum, like an exhibit, mm. um, which like I wouldn't find that like in a church, you know. Yeah. It's very interesting how like closely Buddhism lies with mythology. Yeah, that's that's awesome. When we talk about kind of more Western stories and cultures, like particularly when you talk about like fairy tales, there's a lot of kind of overlay of Christianity over things that were probably very clearly pagan. Mm-hmm. So for example, in the story of Tatterhood, there is a part in the story where it's like, oh, all of the the witches and the demons are out because it's Christmas? And we're like, that <laughs> I, it probably wasn't Christmas originally when the story was told, but yeah. you kind of see this like, oh, well, now this kind of cultural thing has superseded a thing that came before it. And I'm curious if like the role of the Buddha in the story of the Monkey King was filled by a different character before Buddhism spread to China. Yeah, you know, that's like, yeah, I think that could be the case because like nobody really knows the true origins of the Monkey King, but he pops up in, in, in Indian culture too. So I wonder if like, you know, if it's like a different um, god or yeah, like if it's totally different character altogether. Or it could be one where it, I again, like, I'm not sure what the timeline is looking like here. It could have been a story that spread from India to China along with the spread of Buddhism, yeah. which I think would be a really interesting. I'm sure someone, like, knows this for a fact yeah. and can tell me about it. But, like, that's so interesting. I love being able to see the physical spread of stories and culture. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. This is so fascinating. I'm like bringing up tabs of things to Google later because like all of these episodes are always an invitation to learn more and read more. And I you are definitely succeeding. (laughs) So you mentioned earlier dragons and I got really excited because you mentioned like a dragon horde and that's where he got his iron cudgel from. And I was like, oh, yeah, dragons have hordes in every culture. I love that. The universality of dragons. It's fantastic. I know that there is a dragon in Girl Giant and the Monkey King as well. Mm -hmm. Did you like pull from specific dragon stories in including that dragon? Or was it like, okay, here's the like blueprint of what a dragon is. This one is specifically for mine, for my story. Yeah, I totally made up this dragon. Um, He's like mine. Yeah, he's my dragon. Although like his physical description is based on Haku from Spirited Away. I'm obsessed with that movie. I, you know, (laughs) but other than that, like he's, you know, he's his own character, his own person. But then you do meet like his family later in the second book. 
but yeah, like I, I, I'm, I love dragons. I was doing a school visit and the, the question of like, what's the difference between like a Western dragon and an Eastern dragon came up and they totally got the answer right that I didn't know myself. <laughs> but they were like, you know, Eastern dragons are like, they're there to teach a lesson and they are like agents of like good and purity and like heart and Western dragons are just there to like attack you. And like, they're just monsters, yeah. you know, they're just there to fuck shit up. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and like, I, I was like, wow, that's like very insightful. Like I didn't know that I was just like dragons, like they're cool. You know, I love a good dragon. The Western dragon is almost always like a barrier for a hero to overcome or like protecting an item that that hero is trying to get. Yeah. And it's very much about, all about like fire and violence and like, you know, stopping the hero's journey for lack of a better word. Yeah. I love how you described it or how those kids described it as like the Eastern dragons are there to be a mentor, to teach a lesson. Yeah. Like things are usually like very good and calm with dragons until, you know, sometimes they're not. But yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. I love that so, so much. Yeah. I'm reading your, um, the beautiful uh, Kirkus review that they did of the book, which I'm, I'm very pleased with. Thank you. But the way that they described it, and I'm, I'm curious if you want to like talk about this a little, if you don't, totally fine. They mentioned that the book incorporates portrayals of racism, belonging, identity, and intergenerational differences that ring true. And so I would love to talk about the latter one, which is the intergenerational differences and how the story of the Monkey King as you grew up with differs maybe from the story that your parents grew up with and then maybe how the way the story you plan on telling to your child will differ. I guess my parents would have also yeah, because the, the series that I watched didn't come out until they were obviously older. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a tough one. It might require you to go ask your parents being like, so how is the story different? Yeah. But that's totally, totally fine. How about we uh, we think about like how you're going to tell the story differently now to your child? If at all. Yeah. Or if it's just going to be a retelling the way that you heard it, which I think is also beautiful and brilliant. I took a lot of liberties with um, the Monkey King story, especially because I was more interested in him being a bad guy than a good guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so totally like changed that up. But I think that's OK, because like mythology exists to help us, you know, during our current time. Um, so I would definitely... Not to be like, oh, my God, like all about me. But like I would teach my kid like my version. Yeah. I don't want him to like have that moment where he's like, well, I'm like, they keep calling me a bad guy. So I'm just going to be a bad guy. You know, like I want him to learn like the different nuances between like good and bad. And like, you know, sometimes you're good and sometimes you're bad. And like, it's okay. Like you can still strive to be good. I would definitely teach him like that version of the Monkey King. But yeah, like the intergenerational differences is like so fascinating because I think my parents would definitely be more interested in the good version, of course. Like they want to teach me like the good version of the Monkey King, like obey your elders, like don't question the monk, do what he says, you know? And then I did, you know, as a kid, like that's, I just watched the show religiously, like had no questions about it being problematic until I was writing this book and was like, wait a minute, like you can't just obey this useless monk, you know, like he doesn't like know any better. <laughs> like, it's like, he's just leading you down the wrong path too. So yeah, I, I would definitely, yeah, want to try to teach kids to start questioning, you know, those things instead of just like blindly following like what they're told is good, you know? Yeah. And I mean, tradition is only as useful as the lessons that it teaches. Mm -hmm. And so if you decide like the tradition of the Monkey King that you want to pass along to your child is one where it's question authority and you can like, you know, you will find your path is like, 
that's great. You don't have to teach the same lessons that your parents taught you. You could teach the lessons that you found most useful in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's something that we see often in fairy tales. A lot of times when we're telling fairy tales in a modern society, we're not teaching the lessons that were inherently like the point when those stories were being told, right? Like if you look at the Beauty and the Beast story, that was more about like, hey, do your family a favor and get married to this guy that you've never met before so that it can benefit the family. That's not what we think of when we think about the Beauty and the Beast story now. The Beauty and the Beast story now is like, ah, yes, beauty lies below the surface. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, I think that we can take any story, any fairy tale, any, like, epic, and we can apply the things that we want to it in the retelling. Mm -hmm. And I, I am very, very glad to see that like you're doing that I think that's awesome yeah (laughs) thank you I am I'm always like afraid of what the reaction will be when like they realize that like I totally changed like the second half you know of of the monkey king story but yeah like I I I, I have to like constantly give myself permission to keep doing that yeah but like the story is for everyone it doesn't have to be like we have to keep telling this yeah like there are so many people who who are going to be retelling this story you deviating from the set path is not the worst thing to happen in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was reception to the book like? Because the first book is out, you published a sequel. What surprised you? What delighted you about putting out a book? So I try not to read the reviews. Smart, healthy. But mostly, like, it's like kids just telling me, like, oh, thank you for, you know, write, for writing this book. I really, um, really related to Tom's story about, like, not fitting in. And Aww. it's so interesting because, like, it's called Girl Giant um, and the Monkey King. And it's it's like about like the main character is a girl, but like so many boys have come up to tell me that it's like their favorite book and they've read it so many times. And like, I don't know if that's like the, the monkey king part of it that's doing that or if it's just like, you know, they're just learning to empathize with this girl. Like, I, you know, I don't know. It's been very surprising. Um, like the reception has been good. I did accidentally see a review where somebody was angry that, you know, this was not the story of the monkey king. <laughs> You've all heard the story of the monkey king. You can hear a different tale for once. <laughs> There's like an Australian adaptation of The Monkey King on Netflix. Like it's a a series. I watched like the first season, but they totally changed it. You know, they they turned his character into something like very different, which is like, you know, maybe like for that culture or for whoever loves that show, I'm sure it's like amazing to them. But like, I, I really wanted to keep like the essence, like the silliness of The Monkey King. And in that sense, like I kept him very similar to the version that I grew up with. I mean, that's why modern fairy tales resonate, right? Because there is the version that seems canonical to you or that at least you heard growing up. And then adaptations and reimaginings pull out essences of the character. Like you're identifying his silliness. Maybe this other adaptation wanted to focus on another aspect of the character or the story. And through that constellation of adaptation, like that's just the thing that each author pulled out. It doesn't make the other thing wrong or one right and one wrong. It's saying like, hey, let's lift up and examine. It's like doing a a portrait of somebody's nose. (laughs) doesn't mean that they don't have a face. It means that you're focusing on the nose. Like, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that explanation. Yeah. And that's like a thing, too, of people writing about certain, like, historical characters, for instance. A lot of times people will get criticism being like, oh, well, you spent so much time focusing on this part of that person's history, but you didn't even touch on that person's part of the history. And, like, that's the point. Each individual person is looking for a certain aspect of that story that they want to tell. And like, no one is ever going to be 
entirely exhaustively complete when it's telling any story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those people who leave reviews saying that's not the Monkey King story. Too bad. Yeah. Too bad. Come at us. It was just the one and it was like by accident. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I'm very careful not to like see reviews. It just it just never feels good. You know, even the good ones. The good never outweigh the bad, yeah, exactly. I find in my experience. <laughs> You're like, oh, 10 people said nice things and one people said a bad thing. It wasn't even that bad. Cut down for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's rough. I get it. So, Van, thank you so, so much for teaching us about The Monkey King and telling us all about your books. Can you go ahead and tell people both where they can find you on the internet and where they can order your books from? Yeah, my website is authorvanhuang.com. And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at I am Van Huang. Um, I'm also on Goodreads and you can buy my books like wherever you get your books, you know, like support indie bookstores, bookshop.org, that sort of thing. And then also check it out from the library, you know, as a librarian, I'm always like excited to see when my books aren't available because that means that kids are reading them. Yay. I love that. Well, thank you again so, so much. And listeners, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.